Um, we are in our study of Colossians, uh, the last uh, section of, in Colossians, and we're looking at different people, people who served in ministry, people who were co-workers, co-laborers with Paul, and we're continuing that thought. And, and today, um, I've asked Patrick to come up and share. Where is he? There he is right there. He's already ready. He's just chomping at the bit. Come up and share about his life and his, uh, his serving as well. So. Thanks. Chomping at the bit, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're like, let's get this over with. <laughs> so, uh, oh, boy, why are there kids in the back there? <laughs> All right, so um, I'm used to teaching uh, and speaking to younger people. So if any of you wants to, you know, wave your hand around enthusiastically and ask to go to the bathroom or something, that would probably put me more in my comfort zone. Um, Pastor Rich asked me to talk about my testimony about serving today. He made the excellent point that they go together because if you didn't have a testimony of how Jesus saved you, then why would you be serving him in the first place, which I thought was was a good point. So uh, um, this is my, my third draft <laughs> of my testimony here. Um, I gave my life to Jesus almost eight years ago. In July, it'll be eight years coming up. Uh, not long not not coincidentally at all, not long after I started coming here every week. I uh, I grew up Catholic, and I, I just had this desire all of my life to serve God and and to to know Him and to please Him, um, but I didn't know how to do it. I, I didn't understand how salvation worked. I sought to please Him in my own strength, in my own works, and I uh, carried that into early adulthood with me, and I, and I really didn't have a clue as to what godly living looked like either. So, you know, I knew the basics, you know, Christmas, Easter, Ten Commandments. I didn't even keep all those. And, um, but I, I, wanted, I wanted so very badly to, to please God, and I didn't know how to do it. And, and so I tried, and I, I failed. <laughs> and, uh, and I had a sense of my, just the inadequacy of myself um, and the guilt of my sin hung over me. And um, so... You know, I, I came here, and it didn't really take long at all coming here. Well, it was it was women junior high then, but this church, this body of believers, it didn't take long before I, f- I found, you know, everything I'd been looking for in that um, knowing what God's grace was really all about, that it wasn't anything I could do, that it, was in it wasn't anything in myself, that it was... Jesus and his all-sufficiency making up for all my inadequacy and all my sin, and it was just like a light coming on, you know, to, to hear that, to hear that I could just unburden myself of all that um, guilt and just let him have it, and I did, and my life has never been the same since, you know, and uh, after that, I, I, you know, I started plugging in at church. I, I was here every chance I could be. I, I wanted to do stuff. I wanted to have fellowship. I I made a whole ton of new friends, brothers and sisters, I, I, a lot of you here, <laughs> and uh, and just, you know, everything was, was going really well, you know, and, and uh, a lot of you know this already, but um, about two years after I got saved, you know, my, my marriage fell apart, and um, just my life just went off the tracks, and, and I, I didn't know what to do, I didn't know where to turn except to God. And so that's that's just a big part of my testimony is how God got me through that, how God saw me through the darkest 
everything that I could have thought of, you know, my family. I had two small children, and I, I just, I wanted so badly to give them everything that I could, to give them a godly home and, and give them, you know, what I didn't have, let have them know Jesus from a young age, and just to raise them to follow after him. And I, I didn't know how I could do that by myself, or or if I only saw them on the weekends, or, or, or whatever, and and so I was just, I was just wrecked. I was, uh, I was a mess. And, and God just, just, he gave me people, people who are here today, people who aren't to just support me and hold me up and help me through that. And I'm just, uh, they don't know how much that meant to me, how much it still means to me. I don't think they can even fi- realize how much that meant. And meanwhile, God was just speaking to my heart. He was he was telling me, you know, I, I knew in the back of my head that one of the options I had was to curl up in a ball <laughs> and just, just give up, just, just give up and, and fade out and let the, let this overwhelming wreck of my life just, just be what it was. I knew that was an option, but uh, God was telling me, no, no, that's not what you're going to do. Uh, he was telling me, he kept reminding me of a verse that I think you're, most of you are familiar with. He said, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that carried me through. I, I knew I had to serve him however I could. I knew things weren't going to be the same anymore. Things weren't going to be the way I planned them. But I had to serve him. I had to keep following after him because he was the only one who could get me through this. He was the only option I had. You know, I, I it really occurred to me at that time that you know, the only thing I felt I had to look forward to is that someday I would go to heaven and be with Jesus. That was the only thing I could think of, you know. And the unfortunate thing is that I was only 25, so I figured I had a very long time to wait for that. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that was a daunting, you know, 50, 60 years ahead of me of just waiting to go to heaven. But um, but God revealed to me that he had more in mind for me than to just crawl to the finish line of my life. He had he had things for me to do. He had ways for me to serve him. And what he did was amazing to this day. I, I don't, it's only possible through him, but, you know, whereas I thought that I would have my children, you know, every other weekend or something, he made it possible. He made it, made it happen that, that my children are with me all the time. They're 24-7. They're with me. And I couldn't ask for anything else better, anything different for that. And so he made a way for me to, to do what I had wanted to do, to raise them, to follow after him, to be here whenever I could be here, to have this family of believers here who supported me and still support me. And I'm just so thankful for that. I, I can't uh, thank God enough, and that's why I serve him. He's, he, he's done it all for me, and now all I can do is just a little bit to give back to him what he's done for me to give him every bit of my life and just ask him to take it and make something out of it because I've got nothing in myself. I've got no abilities of my own. I can't do any of the things that you see me doing around here on my own. I can't. I can't teach kids. I can't play guitar. I can't. I can't speak right now. I can't. I can hardly do that. And I can't do any of it apart from Jesus. He's He's put his Holy Spirit inside of me to help me that's the only way, I've, I've heard it said before, it's the only way that God could get any good out of a human was to put his Holy Spirit into them. And and I find that to be so true that if I ever uh, 
if I ever was to doubt who God is and how real he is, I could just look at my own life and see that none of this is possible apart from him. None of, none of my life. Not, nothing good could have come except through him. So, serving. I love serving. Let me just tell you. I like talking about serving more than I like talking about my life. So, <laughs> um, and I'm not reading any of my notes. I wrote all these notes. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> serving, that's what we're here for. That's why God made us. That's The Bible makes that pretty clear, I think, that he created us to worship him and to serve him. And, you know, that that's where we find our purpose and meaning in our lives, I think. I... I I feel like when I'm serving God, when I'm doing something that God's called me to do, that I'm a puzzle piece in the right spot, you know, and you all are puzzle pieces next to me that I fit in with, and and there's something about that. There's something about serving with other people that is just such a blessing to, to be co-workers in Christ and, and pull in that same direction for his kingdom. Um, it's just amazing to me. It's amazing that God can use me and... If he can use me, he can use anyone. And, you know, I find that when I'm serving, that's that's when I'm just I'm having the most fulfillment in my life, following him. He came to give us life abundantly, and that's part of it. Part of living life abundantly is serving him. And he's not a cruel taskmaster. He's the best master, the best uh, one to tell, tell us what to do, tell us how to serve him, tell us what we're meant for. You know, he's... He's kind and, and loving and good, and, and he wants what's best for us. And when we serve him, we, we're taking up a yoke that's, that's light. It's not, it's not work to me to serve him. It's, it's a joy. He's the, he's the king of kings, and I get to serve him. He uses me, and that's just all him. That's amazing. So serving. Serving is awesome. And... <laughs> winding down here. Um, Jim mentioned last week, and, and I think about it a lot too, that he wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when he gets to heaven one day. And uh, I just have that same desire. I want to hear God say those words to me. I want to see him face to face and say thank you to him for everything he's done for me. And I, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, because if he's able to say that about me, then I've brought him just a little bit of the glory that he deserves because I'm reflecting how good and faithful he is. He's utterly faithful, utterly good, utterly worthy of every bit of my trust and every bit of my being. And so if he can, if he can get anything out of me then, and I can bring him glory, then that's, that's what I'm here for. That's my reason for serving. That's my reason for breathing <laughs> is to bring glory to God, my Lord and Savior. Boy, that was great, Patrick. Thank you. You know, it says in Revelation that uh, <clears throat> they defeated the enemy. They defeated the devil by two things. Number one, the blood of the lamb. And number two, by the word of their testimony. And that was a powerful testimony. And I, don't, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, we have people serving. Uh, and and that, it's kind of a testimony to me of we have 
you know, children in the back and, and they're back there and they're getting taken care of. But it's people like that who have a heart for God who we're entrusting our kids to. And that makes me very, feel very confident in knowing that, that Jesus is using uh, people like that. People like Patrick. So thank you, Patrick, and for being honest and open. Um, don't be surprised if I call on some of, some of the rest of you to, to give your testimony. You know, I just love to hear people's stories. I just love it. I know it's hard to keep it within a certain, uh, you know, you could, we could be here for every day, all day. But anyways, uh, let's open our Bibles, Colossians chapter 4, and continue where we are. The people in Paul's life, part 2. Um, just a little bit of, in the way of review, Paul was not a one-man show, and he always had someone serving with him. And it, really, when you look through, someone has counted them all up, different people that he was acquainted with and that he worked with. It sometimes was over 100 people, 100 different names. And uh, we looked last week at this guy named Tychicus, and we saw a number of characteristics about him. Number one, that he was trusted. He was trusted by Paul. Um, Paul talks about him being a dear brother there in verse uh, 7. He's a dear brother. He's a faithful minister. He was faithful. We talked about uh, the qualities of faithfulness being the fact that you're reliable, trustworthy, that you're constant, that you are dependable. And I love um, what Warren Wiersbe said, you know, and I'll quote it again because I want us to remember this, that someone has said the greatest ability in the world is dependability. Dependability. And uh, Patrick said he didn't have any ability, but let me tell you what, he's dependable. And he's got that ability that God's working that in his life. And God is, is because he's been faithful, because he's been available, that God has done something in his life and, and through his life. The second part of the meaning of faithful is just having faith, full of faith towards God, trusting in him to do it. Uh, the last thing he mentions there the, the, uh, is being a fellow servant in the Lord. And, and this word is... Uh, is a soon doulos, soon doulos meaning a co-servant. He was he was a servant together with Paul. They served together, and that's something that has really been impressing me in studying these passages. These people that they served together, they worked together. It wasn't just Paul, as I said, not a one-man show. And the last uh, that that uh, Tychicus was a man who could encourage. In the last part of verse eight, he says that he may encourage your hearts. We need encouragement, and especially when you're serving the Lord. Sometimes you wonder, like, is, it, is, what, is, what you, is what you are doing getting through? Is it making a difference? And you need encouragement sometimes. So let's pick it up in verse 9 for the next person who I kind of got to last time and then ran out of time. His name is Onesimus, and a few of you raised your hands, said you knew you'd heard the name before. But Paul thought very highly of him, and, and uh, as we'll see here, verse 9 says, He is coming with Onesimus, that is, Tychicus is coming with Onesimus to go and visit the Colossians, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here, back there in Rome where Paul was. He is coming with Onesimus, and, and now... Again, 
people's lives and your story and the story of this particular man. We all come from different places and, and life is kind of, you know, where we find ourselves in different situations. This particular man, he was a servant. He was a doulos. He was a bond servant. And this particular man, it's thought that he had stolen money, stolen from a man by the name of Philemon, and then had run away. And so he was then on the run. But interestingly enough, he runs into a guy named Paul. I, you know, I'm not sure if you're on the run and you want to run into a guy named Paul. But that's who he ran into, a guy named Paul. And he became a believer, and he was willing to return. But his life was completely changed because his heart was changed. His circumstances weren't good. We'll talk a little bit about this whole situation in a minute. But his circumstances weren't good, but, but inside was where the real problem was. Inside of this man Onesimus is where the real issue was. He had, he had something missing there. But something radical had happened when now Paul is writing about him and he says that he is our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. You see, the book of Colossians is about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And if in relation to us as human beings, the preeminence of Jesus Christ is what changes people's lives, is what changed my life. What changes your life is, is Jesus Christ and the preeminence of who he is. Paul writes to Philemon, which is where we get the letter called Philemon. One chapter, it's a letter that Paul wrote, and he sends this letter, he sends this letter with Tychicus and Onesimus to this guy Philemon. And I want you to turn there, we're not going to read the whole letter, but I want to read a couple verses in there, uh, three or four verses in the, from Philemon. So Philemon is, just go ahead a few books, it's right before you get to the book of Hebrews, right after Titus. Philemon, 25 verses here. And this is the letter that Paul writes to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, who was Philemon's servant. But look at verses 10 and following. He says there, I appeal to you. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. He says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. Interesting, the name Onesimus really means useful. The name actually means useful, but Paul's saying now he really is useful. Without God in his life, he was, he was useless. And, and really, for all of us, we're really useless without God in our lives. But... And Patrick mentioned this, with Jesus Christ in our lives, with the Holy Spirit in us, we become useful. But notice some of the things that Paul says about him. He says, he, he is my son. He is my very heart. I'm sending him back to you. Jump down to verse 16. Again, you could read the whole letter and get the whole picture here. 
Uh, you can do that on your own. But, but look at verse 16. He says, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. You see all the terms that Paul is using about him? Now, we know he was a servant of this man, but Paul's calling him a faithful and dear brother. He's calling him my son. He's calling him useful. He's calling him dear to me. He's calling him a man and a brother in the Lord. This man, Onesimus, out of the life that he was in, he had become a servant of God. He had become a servant of God, a useful servant of God. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this in, 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 in just a few minutes talking about there are different kinds of slaves. There are different kinds of servants. And, and when you read the Bible, it's a very large subject, and, and I'm only going to take a few minutes of this. But, but there's really three different kinds that I want to point out to you today. Number one is a slave to sin. Someone said this, that social evils such as slavery are wrong, but a greater problem is captivity and and enslavement by Satan and sin. Slavery is wrong, it's bad, but there's a greater problem, and it's the slavery to sin that is in our very hearts. Jesus said it. He said in John chapter 8, he said these words, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, a loss to sin, he said. And now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but he said, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Bible is full of, of uh, this idea of being set free. And Jesus said it. We're slaves to sin, but if the Son sets us free, we will be free indeed. Paul talked about it, writing in Romans chapter 6 as well. We don't have time to turn there. I want to try to look at both Onesimus and the next man, Aristarchus, today. But Paul said this in in Romans chapter 6, that he says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves, you are doulos, To the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But Paul says something similar to Jesus. He said, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. There's a radical change that's taken place. Slave to sin, in bondage, just slave enslaved to the things of this world, to the things of the flesh, to the things of this life. But he says, when we come to Jesus Christ, something takes place, and our master is changed. Patrick talked about the master being Almighty God. A slave to sin, that's one. Number two is a slave to man, and that can happen not by choice and also by choice. It's a wicked evil. And and the reason that it gets so evil is because of who men, who mankind is, who men are. And and there's a very, very big, big difference between people and between 
Almighty God. Patrick talked about a God who is good and, and kind and loving and faithful. I can't say the same about people. Especially what has been seen over the last two centuries or so. Today, though, things have not really changed that much. Truthfully, things have not changed that much. It's estimated today that there are some 27 million people. 27 million people in the world today who are subject to slavery. You say, well, I thought it was all done with, all over with. No, it's not. There are, there are people who are in forced labor. There are people who are in human trafficking, in the sex trades, in so many other areas where people who are, are under some kind of bondage. The Bible never, never condones slavery. In fact, the Bible talks about all people being equal as human beings. Paul said in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's what, that's what uh, Paul was saying about Onesimus to Philemon. He says, he's one of you. We're all the same. But isn't it bad how twisted that humans can take things and, and how, how evil we can be? One man wrote this, the idea that one nation or race is superior to another does not come from the Bible. Racism like that displayed by many during the slavery years of the United States has always been a sin. In fact, in the book of Exodus as well, it says this, that in Exodus 21 it says, anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he is caught must be put to death. The death penalty for kidnapping and, and, and having someone enslaved, enslaved because of that. Now, during Bible times, again, this is a, a very simplified version of the whole subject, but during Bible times, there were many that were enslaved by their own debts. There was no, um, you know, avenue for, like, you know, going bankrupt or anything like that. If you had a lot of debt, you had to physically... Pay that debt with your very life. In fact, in the Roman Empire, when you think about this, in the Roman Empire, some one-third of the total population were in some kind of doulos or bond slavery or bond service. One out of every three people were in some kind of service. But I like what uh, this person said, that the principles that were set forth by Jesus and his apostles, if followed, would result, if followed, notice, would result in the abolition of all types of abusive relationships. And slavery would have been non-existent if everyone had followed, and he quotes the Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule, do unto others as you have them do unto you. So you have a slave to sin, you have a slave to man. And then thirdly, the bond slave servant of God. That's really number one. By choice. 
when you look at this word again, the, the word that we see speaking about Phi, uh, Onesimus here in Philemon, it's the word doulos, a bond servant, a bond slave. He's bound to that. The very same word is used over and over in the New Testament. Paul calls himself a doulos, a bond servant, a bond slave of Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, in Titus chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, he uses that term over and over. John the Apostle, Revelation chapter 1, uses the same term for himself. Jude chapter 1, he uses the same term for himself. Peter uses the same term for himself in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Interesting thing, I was talking with Alex about this. They've been studying First uh, and 2 Peter. 1 Peter 1, it says, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant, a doulos, and apostle of Jesus Christ. I wonder if he kind of, kind of grew a little bit between 1 and 2 Peter. A servant, a doulos. James 1, 1, a doulos. But I think one of the most radical things that was ever written in Philippians chapter 2 where it says that Jesus took the form of a servant, a doulos. Jesus showed the way. He, took, he made the example of what it meant to really give it all and serve. In the parable of the talents, and, and Patrick uh, gave, gave us a good introduction to this verse, where the parable of the talents, talents were given out, and, and in the end, how did, you know, what did you do with what God had given you? That's the question. And, and at the end, it says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful doulos, servant, bond servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Come and share the joy of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful doulos. One of the most interesting verses I find in the Old Testament in relation to this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 15 where uh, it was a passage about actually releasing servants, letting them go. But it says this, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. You got set free. He says, that's why I give you this command today. But he says, but if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you, and your family, and he's well off with you, then take an all and push it through his earlobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your maidservant. See what he's saying? If he says, I love you, I don't want to go anywhere else. Take an all, a very sharp instrument. It sounds painful to me. Uh, I never had my ear pierced. Um, I'm going to get that done soon, but... Um, <laughs> But I don't like pain, so maybe I won't. But to take the all and push it through there and put it into the doorpost, and it was a symbolic gesture, meaning that I do not want to go anywhere else. And, and in my mind, that picture is a picture of us and serving the Almighty God, that I do not want to go anywhere else. Peter says, to, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I read this quote, we must each decide which master we will allow 
to control our lives. We must each decide which master we will allow to control our lives. God was doing something radical in the life of Onesimus. God was working in the life of Paul, but God was also working in the life of Philemon. And you say, how could this all work out together? Well, I don't know, but I know one thing is that Onesimus had unfinished work, unfinished business to take care of. When he had left, as I said, it's, it's most likely that he had, he had robbed, he had stolen, and then left. He had unfinished business there, but he was willing to face it and see what God would do. He was willing to face it and see what God would do. Paul, when you read the letter, you, you, you see that in a, in, a, in a very gentle way, Paul is saying, listen, he's, he's one of us. He, he needs to be set free. And some believe that he later became a leader in the church at Ephesus and later martyred for his faith, this man Onesimus. People from all different places, all different walks of life, all different situations, but all important and changed by Jesus Christ. I wish I could just sit and listen to each one of your stories, and I know that it would be the story. I've heard some of your stories. Maybe, you know what? If you would like to write your story down and send it to me, I would love to read it. I would love to hear your story. Send it to, send it in an email. The address is connections at calvarygreenmeadow.com. Just send me your, your story. I would love to read it. We used to have a newsletter that we put out some time ago, and I would love it when people would have, we'd put their stories in that newsletter. And maybe God's raising some of you up again to resurrect the newsletter. I'll just throw that little pitch in there. So we have Tychicus, we have Onesimus, rare and beautiful treasures from Proverbs chapter 24, verse 4. Rare and beautiful treasures, lives serving God. And the last one I want to look at today is, his name is Aristarchus. Let's turn back to Colossians. Aristarchus, and it's, that's not a name, how many, how many would, you, would you know that name? It's not like you're just a normal name, it's not, you know, Peter, we all know Peter, we know Moses, we know Paul. We know Joshua, we know David, Goliath, but this guy named Aristarchus, he's just as important as any in all of these. And, and when we look at this life, I was, I, was, I was amazed as I began to like read about him and what other people had written about him. Let's look at verse, um, hold on, wrong page. Let's look at verse, what verse is it? 10. Some of you are paying attention. That's awesome. Thank you. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We're going to look at Mark next week. Mark has an incredible story. It's an incredible story, the God of second chances. But today, I just want to finish today with this guy, Aristarchus. You say, well, I don't know much about him. You can call him Ari for short. But it says that he was... In another place, it says he was from a city called Thessalonica. You've heard of that, right? And uh, um, just an interesting bit of, uh, of uh, trivia, I'll let you know that my grandmother was born in Thessalonica. Is that amazing? 
The place, the city still exists. They call it Thessaloniki now. But it's the same city where the letters, and we're going to look at the letters of, uh, to 1st uh, and 2nd Thessalonians uh, shortly. But he was from there, and, and, and first of all, he calls him my fellow prisoner. And what I want to say about this guy, the, the, the most uh, incredible thing, and, and, and what comes out in this is that he was with Paul through thick and thin. He stuck with Paul through thick and thin. He seemed to be there with Paul when the things, when things uh, got hard, when the going got tough. He seemed to be there with him. He just had kind of a gift with that. I don't know how it happened. How do you know that? How do you say that? Well, turn back with me to the book of Acts. We'll look at three different places where we find his name. The book of Acts, chapter 19 first. Acts chapter 19, turn with me if you will. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way, and a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, a false god, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. And he called them together along with the workmen and related trades, said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. He didn't really care about the God. He cared about the profit and the money. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. Like I said, he probably believed that too. He says, there's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Well, you know what? If she could be robbed of it, she never had it in the first place. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar and the people seized Gaius Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and they rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. There was a a riot in Ephesus because of the things that Paul and others were saying. There was a riot there, but Aristarchus was there with him. In fact, he was on the front line. Paul, I don't know where Paul was at the moment. He he was kind of in in the back somewhere. Paul, not that Paul wanted, you know, wanted to avoid that. He was ready to go out there, but they said, whoa, wait a minute, They're, they'd rip you limb from limb. But Aristarchus was there. How about chapter 20? Look at chapter 20, verse 1. It says, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus from Thessalonica. This is where it tells, where, tells us where he's from. Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Tychicus, and Trophimus 
from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. He's been through that riot, and now they're ready, getting ready to do something else, and the Jews are now hatching this plot to get Paul. And guess who's there with him? It's Aristarchus. One more passage, chapter 27, Acts chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. He was right there with him again. Jump down to verse 13, you see, because if, you've, if you haven't read this chapter before, you should read the whole chapter. It says, When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeasters, see that Northeasters back then too, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm, could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it, and we were driven along. Incredible storm, and, and, and really, you read the whole story here. Jump down to verse 18. We took such a violent battering from the storm, the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Aristarchus is there with Paul in this seemingly hopeless situation. You can go home and read the rest of the story, find out it doesn't end that way. They were nearly lost at sea. But Aristarchus was there. Now turn back to Colossians, and we see where Paul says in verse, chapter 4, verse 10, my fellow prisoner. He was there with Paul during the riot. He was there when the plot was being hatched against him. He was there in the storm at sea, where they nearly lost their lives. Now back in Colossians, in Rome, in the book of Colossians, speaking about being in Rome, he's there in prison with Paul. He's there with him in the tough times, in the difficult times. One commentator says this, he was clearly, and you can tell he's British by the way he speaks, he was clearly a good man to have about in a tight corner. He was clearly a good man to have about in a tight corner. He says, a man always on the spot when things were at their grimmest. Whenever Paul was in bad trouble, Aristarchus was there. Did we all have that same gift? No, but that seemed to be the gift that Aristarchus, he was there when things got hard and difficult and tough. Warren Wiersbe says, he did not look for an easy task and he did not run when the things, when the going got tough. What a faithful Christian he was to stick by Paul through thick and thin. He didn't look for an easier way. Well, you know what? Hanging around with Paul, you know, this seems to happen a lot. I'm going to go hang around with somebody else because it's just too much for me. You know, okay, the riot's fine, but you know, Paul, I'll catch, you know, I'll catch up with you later. I'll see you in heaven. You know, it's too much for me. He said, you know what? No, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be right here serving together with you and, and whatever 
it is that God has called you to do. If things get difficult, as things do, don't they get difficult in life? But I want to say this to you, that I know people like that in my life, in my calling, and some of you are here today, but you know who you are. And you've stuck with me through hard times, through thick and thin. And, and Proverbs says a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. And, and uh, Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. One falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We talk about that in terms of marriage, the three strands, the cord of three strands, but it's just as valid, too, for people helping out one another in this life. I want to close with a story that uh, someone wrote he was a, a pastor of a church in a, in a city. And I, I don't know if the, it, it's obviously it's true, but the city is called Boring, Oregon. <laughs> have any, any of you ever been to Boring, Oregon? Or you just have been to Boring? Yeah, okay. And you're going, man, okay, can you finish this up? Is it time to close? And anyways, this guy writes this, 1967. He says, we were at war with Vietnam, and there I was, at the U.S. Army Ranger School in Fort Benning, Georgia. It was brutal, he said. He says, I can still hear the raspy voice of the sergeant. We, sergeant, quote, we are here to save your lives. We're going to see to it that you overcome all your natural fears. We're going to show you just how much incredible stress the human mind and body can endure. And when we're finished with you, you will be the U.S. Army's best. That's what he said to them. And this man says then, before he dismissed the formation, he said, and this is your first assignment. So after, you know, we heard that speech, he thinks, you know, what, are, you know, what is he going to make us do now so that we can face our fears and overcome this stuff and, and you know, become... You know, the Army's best, the U.S. Army Ranger, the elite. He said, we'd steeled ourselves for something really tough, like running 10 miles in full battle gear or rappelling down a sheer cliff, which is what I would have thought, too. Instead, he told us to find a buddy. He said, find yourself a Ranger buddy. He growled. He said, you will stick together, you will never leave each other, you will encourage each other, and as necessary, you will carry each other. It was the Army's way of saying difficult assignments require a friend. Together is better. He says, who's your ranger, buddy? Isn't that interesting? Paul, he had a guy like that, ranger buddy. Aristarchus, he was there who helped carry him, helped get him through, help walk together through that. Do you have someone like that? Maybe you need to make it an assignment. I have people like that. That I can call on and say, man, I'm, I'm in trouble. I need help. I need prayer. It's getting tough. Or people just come to me out of the blue and say, I mean, you know, what can I do? How can I help? 
people. Onesimus, his life was radically changed. He was a servant of the Almighty God, a bondservant of Almighty God. Aristarchus, this guy's life has changed. He's willing to do whatever it takes, willing to be wherever he needs to be. You and me, our lives changed to serve, called to serve, to be devoted to our Savior in return, as Patrick so ably pointed out, because of all that he's done for us, what can we do for him? Let's pray.